0: Okay. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Culinary Historians of Chicago. Um, and we, we have a wonderful program tonight. Uh, some people who are uh, talking about their lamb, and those these two people are gentle as a lamb. So, and tonight, we have some people who are wonderful, this wonderful couple. I met them in the spring when I attended the annual conference of the International Association of Culinary Professionals this year it was held in pittsburgh and these this couple the jamesons were there uh signing books and talking about their lamb farm they're renowned across the nation they helped change the way america eats lamb and uh i'll tell you a little bit about them um they um they they have come out with a book about their their life in lamb it's uh it's called Coyotes in the Pasture and Wolves at the Door. And Kathy, I think you're gonna show a link, uh, right, to how to order the book if people are interested. And John is also is an English major and a writer. So he's a lamb farmer. It's a wonderful poignant and tale. And they talk about meeting Julia Child and Chuck Williams from Williams-Sonoma who helped put their name on the map. But anyway, um, they are in Pennsylvania. And they have a wonderful farm, and they've been in business for like they started about almost forty years ago. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And um, and they changed the way I it, well I I told them that I used to hate lamb and now I love lamb. I get my lamb from Jewel, which I don't know. You know, it's not a prestige meat place, but the lamb I get is grass fed just th- that's all they carry there is grass fed lamb so I wasn't doing it to be vir- virtuous and I suddenly started liking lamb when I started getting it from them and I found out from the Jamesons that um, grass fed lamb tastes wonderful but the kind of lamb I had as a kid always tasted lamby and gamey or something and it was uh, not grass fed it was corn fed so it changed my my now I now I love lamb thanks to it being grass fed and that's all they raised was grass fed lamb uh, they developed a, a form they developed a thriving mail order business with their farm and they first sold to home cooks and Suki is a wonderful cook and she provided wonderful lamb recipes for them and they helped start popularizing their lamb and Chuck well Chuck Williams of Williams Sonoma helped put them on the map and so did some wonderful um Top chefs in our country, in, in this country, they started ordering their lamb, and they'll talk about that. And in Chicago, people like Rick Bayless, Charlie Trotter, Grant Ackett's, uh were ordering their lamb, so not not too shabby. Um, and one of the top chefs in the country, Dan Barber, in New, in New York's Blue Hill restaurant, said, said about them, when everyone was heading towards mass production and uniformity, they looked to the past to the great traditions of peasant farming, the flavor of the lamb speaks for itself. So I with that, I'm gonna bring on the Jamesons. I will have, I I'll also, we will open this up to chat questions later. So if you have questions, feel free to put them in chat and we'll read them later. Uh, and I'm gonna ask them some live questions at the end. I know one question I'm gonna ask them, so be prepared. How How do you, those sweet little lambs, how do you, how do you lead them to the slaughter these gentle things and not feel guilty but you can talk about that later i i eat lamb at, well i said to a farmer once i asked how do you feel guilty kill they would kill their pets you know and then then uh, eat them and they said no we don't feel guilty at all i said well i always feel guilty and when i uh, eat eat meat and so the the woman said to me she said well why do you why do you eat it then I said because it tastes good, and then I walked away from the table because she got <laughs> angry. Okay, with that note, please t- give us well, your lamb tail. That's
1: a that's a softball for us. Uh, the Jean Louis Paladin, who was the chef who made us famous, and was just a character, very charismatic, and and uh, very funny, and uh, he always said uh, uh, a happy lamb. It's a tasty lamb. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. If the animals are raised right and they're happy, and I can tell when they're happy. Farmers can tell when animals are happy. And if they're happy, they're tasty. And th- it's true. It's just, and, but with Jean-Louis, it was funny because he uh, he didn't say, and, you know, he, he said lamb. And he uh, and uh, he didn't speak English very well, so it always came out. And we always say this in the, uh, the family: uh, uh, a happy lamb is a tasty lamb. And so that's that's the way it works. But yeah, it's there. There uh, and he and I uh, actually got involved in. Uh, um, changing some of the laws on field production because he didn't think field production in this country was humane and so but i don't mean to bring that up that's a downer uh, debbie downer but anyway it's uh uh it's it's true that the way they're handled makes makes a difference to the meat so yeah, I have no problem with it all because I I take care of them and uh, uh, they're 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 on grass, uh, they're free range in the true sense of the word. They they're running on um, uh, paddocks that are uh, three to five acres, and then every three or four days they're moved to to another paddock of three to five acres, and um, uh, they have fresh grass. So every three days, four days they have fresh food. It's great. They're happy and we're happy. Their job is to eat the grass. And uh, yeah,' it's, it's wonderful. And so when we started selling to uh, we started selling to Louis, and uh, uh, he was uh, he was close to us. Uh, Mileage wise, um, it was uh, Washington DC is only about three and a half hours from here. And so relatively, it was uh, it was close, because Pittsburgh at that time in the mid 80s was a was a culinary wasteland. (laughs) Literally, as I always say, It was surf and turf in Pittsburgh in the 80s was carp and colbasi. So this was not a this was not a place of uh, of uh, great uh, culinary display, as it were. But Jean-Louis started buying from us. And we got involved then with the who i lovingly referred to as the french mafia so at that time uh sean uh, joho was one and he started buying from us uh, 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 in the 80s late 80s
2: early late 90s.
1: 80s what was the restaurant everest everest So we sold the show at Everest, and then we started selling different places. And uh, people would call up Sean Louis and ask where to get lamb and he would tell them to buy it from us. And that started us in the restaurant business, which was great. And uh, at about the same time, then, we got a few articles that were written about us that were very good. And um, we had the association with uh, with Chuck Williams uh, that uh, that you mentioned, and uh, uh, we went to a meeting the IACP, uh, International Association of Culinary Professionals, and we went to a uh, uh, what do they call them? Well, it was breakfast? But net network.
2: And network breakfast, yes.
1: And so I go to sit down. It was
2: it San Francisco?
1: It was in San Francisco. I go to sit down uh, at the table, and there were there were uh, three people, four people, three people at the table. Two female chefs from California, S- Susan Goins. Yeah. And uh, uh, and then this very well-dressed, mild-mannered man was sitting by himself. And so I said, excuse me, may I sit down? And he said, no, that's fine, please do. And so we started talking and uh, uh, I didn't catch his name. All I, all I heard was Chuck. And uh, I said, oh, well, so he said well now what do you do and I said why well, we have a farm in western Pennsylvania in the hills and we raise lamb on grass and we can't sell it to anybody around us because it's too expensive and the lamb's too small and quite frankly they have no taste <laughs> so I said we started a mail order business and I said it's great, I said, we have thirty five hundred names on our mailing list. And he said, Oh, we have a we have a mail order business also. And I said, really? And with that, one of the chefs, female chefs, started laughing. And I had no idea what she was laughing about. So I said, really? I said, what's what's the name of your mail order business? And he said, Williams Sonoma. And I went, oh, well, that's nice. And I spit my coffee all over the table. And, and uh, but by the end of the day, we were doing a deal to supply him with land. It was great, it was wonderful. And, uh, and he was a very nice guy. We were with him for five years, I think. Three years. Three years
2: which is a long time. But
1: that's a long time to be tied in with them on one. And that was spring and, and winter. So it was the Easter holiday and the Christmas holiday. And it was a big deal. The only problem is it almost uh, put us out of business because William sonoma is not light on their, their part of the uh, split but it didn't matter because we got such notoriety.
2: The exposure. And the, the exposure was incredible.
1: Was and, and when we stopped working with them, they allowed us to keep the names. So it was really a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and Chuck always kept in touch with us and uh, helped us any way he could. And, uh, so it was great. That was a, that was a big deal. So we were lucky in that we've had um, things like that happen to us. Uh, we met Julia at um, uh, the one in uh, IUCP in Miami. Miami in 19... I forget. Doesn't matter.
2: In the 90s. Early 90s.
1: In early 90s. And uh, she was she was just great and uh, we had had an introduction to her uh, because Suki's mother had gone to the cooking school in France that she had with Sim-Quebec and Nesbethol, um, uh, is that right? I
0: right. forget
1: her name. Okay. So anyway, um, Suki's mother had gone to that school, so uh, she wrote Julia a letter and said, uh, dear Julia, it was so wonderful to be at your cooking school last year. Our, uh, my, my daughter and her husband have started a, a sheep farm and uh, it's just the most wonderful, they have the most wonderful land. And uh, Julia wrote her back very nicely and succinctly uh, the way a graduate of Smith would do and uh so uh uh she said well that's that's very nice but um just so you know i'll look for them but i i never have endorsed anything and i never will and so i have a letter from her 10 years after that where she's telling me how wonderful the lamb is <laughs> but anyway that was um uh, we we had she was very, very helpful to us as we as we grew the business. and uh, obviously was not a bad person to know. and uh, so it was great. So then going off on that one,
2: um, uh, we got our plan in 1994. We are expanding our business. Yes. Yes.
1: So you're thinking about the merguez.
2: So I'm thinking about all the products we made with lamb. We talk about talk about how people like rack rack of lamb. That's all they know about on a lamb. And back then, people weren't eating lamb.
1: So they just got the just what, for
2: special occasion.
1: They they just got what we referred to as the middle meats, and that actually that was part of it when we uh, when we went to that cocktail party uh, in Miami, uh, Julia was uh, was uh, uh, kibitzing. And uh, I was talking to uh, we, well, Scott, we were talking about the butcher. Uh, uh, what's his name?
2: Brown, David Brown, Brown,
1: David Brown. And uh, so I'm talking to David Brown, who was a butcher in Canada about what do I do with all the the leftover meat? Because all that Americans wanted at that time were racks and loin chops. And so he and I are talking, and as we are talking, I hear behind me <laughs> this kind of iambic lamb, iambic, <laughs> pan, <laughs> loud amateur. Uh, it <laughs> was just, yeah, it was very, it was funny. And, and, I, and uh, uh, I hear this woman say, Julia, where does the rack come? I was asking, I said, all we sell is the racks and loins. And so then a lady turned to Julia, I'm hearing this, and says, Julia, where does the rack come from? And Julia turned to me and said, back first, she turned her back to me and then turned her head and said, dear, show them where the rack is. And with that, uh, I went like this on her back, which she would do on, on her TV show to show where the cuts were. So I did the rack like this and she said, yes. And she said, now show them where the saddle is. And I went down like this, showed her where the saddle was. And by this time, everybody in the, at the, at the cocktail party is circling around us and laughing, having a great time. And then Julia being Julia, uh, we who knew her would understand this, um, pushed out her lower part of her body. And she said, dare dear, show them where the leg is. <laughs> and I went, Mrs. Child. And with that, everybody started laughing, <laughs> drinking even more. And we had the best time. But it, 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 we became friends uh because of that. And um uh she helped us with recipes and uh uh when we did the um uh the soup, the mama's stew, the mama's stew. Yeah. she uh uh she wrote, we sent it to her and and there's a letter in the book that explains it but only Julia would say it this way and I don't want to read it, it's in the book. But anyway, she said, I think there's an overpowering herb taste that's rather pervasive. (laughs) Could it be rosemary? And of course it was. And, uh, but she helped us with doing things like that all the time. And she was very uh, uh, accessible and um, uh, and polite and just, she was wonderful. And she loved us. So later on, what happened with Julia was, we had uh, started, uh, we our own slaughter plant 94 and uh in 96 the icp was in uh international associated culinary professionals was in philadelphia so it was the first year that uh, we had uh, been operating the plant and could send it to her because we sent her lamb at easter and her birthday in August. So anyway, we sent her a light lamb. And, uh, so we're and It was. It got to her about a week before the IACP. So Suki and I went up to her and said, "Well, Julie, how'd you like the lamb?" She said, "Well, dear, it was very tasty, but rather tough." And so I went. Oh my God. Of course, there were only about 100 people around, and uh, so we had to figure out how to fix the problem, and uh, we fixed it. We went to uh, uh, Penn State's meat lab and talked to Dr. Ed Mills and found out that what we had done was uh, we chilled the animal down too quickly so when a chef lets meat go to room temperature this is basically the same thing so the animal has been is 100 degrees or so when it's slaughtered and then uh with these big fat western animals the uh, beef they put them into uh the cooler at, at uh at 34 degrees because all Americans are afraid they're gonna die. It isn't where the USDA says it should be. So anyway, uh, uh and and that's fine with a with a side of beef that weighs six hundred pounds. Six hundred pounds that's the whole
2: thing. No, three to four hundred Three to four hundred
1: pounds, pounds per side. And it has this much fat an inch of fat on the back but these lambs that we have are 30 to 40 pounds very light cover as we would say maybe a quarter of an inch the size of a quarter maybe and uh, they chill down very quickly so if you if you put them in at 35 degrees the muscles of the meat will contract, the muscles will contract and the meat becomes tough. And so we would put it in at 55 degrees. We got a dispensation from the USDA to do that. And we, we would hang the lambs overnight at 55 degrees. And then after that, they would go into the uh, cooler at 35 degrees and everything was fine. And Julia was fascinated by that. She was such a student. And I think that's what, what I learned about her more than anything else that some people know, but when you were one-on-one with her, you, I mean, it was really something. If somebody, if, if somebody called her about tough meat, she would refer them to us and I would explain this procedure. And it was wonderful and, and it kept us very close also. And uh so she was uh she was truly something. So then where are you? I should talk about this.
2: So then well we were talking about the fact that people didn't buy lamb on a daily basis.
1: So we had to look for other things to do with it, right? Right so that's where you're going. So then <coughs> tying in Julie and her friends. um, So we were at the there was a a, a, uh, an event in Philadelphia that was done in the spring. I think it was the spring with cookbooks. It's called the book and the cook or the cook and the book. I can't remember. But they would bring in pardon me, they would bring in people that were um, writing cookbooks to work with certain chefs, and then uh, they would sell their books and everybody was happy. Well, so this was a big event for us and uh, we were starting to make sausage. So we didn't know anything about what sausages to make. So we made a uh, spinach and feta sausage, which is Greek and Makes sense. We made that sausage and then we made uh, an American breakfast sausage with uh, lamb and it had lamb casing. And uh, so that it, it was sage, like a like a sage sausage, like the breakfast sausages we have here. <coughs> and the advantages The advantage of it was, of course, there is no pork in it. So people who, uh, Jewish people and were Muslim could eat it because it didn't, I mean, it wasn't, we didn't kill a kosher, Um, but it was the shoulder. So that was okay. So anyway, we made that sausage. Those were the two that we were selling. And so we're handling the sausage out at the book and the cook. These two properly dressed chefs walked by and I recognized them. And so I said, Chef. And uh, they turned around. I grabbed it, it was it was it was Alas Sayak and shot the pan. And so I grabbed the pan first, because I knew him better because of our association with Julia. And uh, so they started talking to us about, uh, oh, you have to make marguez. And I said, well, I never had marguez before. I have no idea what you're talking about. So they explained to me what marguez was. and now it's kind of all the rage we've been making it for 30 years because it was a byproduct of our lamb business. And uh, many people have said that it's the best they've had in this country. And uh, uh, so what I did was I said, well, okay, what's a recipe? Give me a recipe. And Pepin said, um, uh, look at Paula Wolford cookbook. She has a recipe. And so I got that recipe and then I changed it. I sent it to, this is what was so cool. So I sent it to uh, Pepin, Shaanlui, uh, Shoho, um, uh, uh, Gunnar Seeger, uh, uh, who was uh, German. He was an Alsatian, Shoho, was, and I sent it to Shoho. Did I say show Yeah. So anyway, all the, and it was just great. They would write back and say, oh, too much this, too much that. Hey, what are you thinking? It was just great. So we go back and forth and we came up with it and it really, it's wonderful. So that
0: was one of the fun things. Oh, could, could you tell uh, again, what, what is that dish? What. What does it taste like? What What's in it, the So you do.
2: The merguez sausage has uh, paprika, pasilla, sumac, uh, garlic, Corian- salt and pepper, coriander. coriander. It's just a big, it's a spice blend that we made, we came up with, and then you just add it to uh, brown lamb.
1: But the sumac, <laughs> the sumac gives it the color. It gives it a red color. And uh, which chili, is
2: chili peppers? Yeah. So it has a little bit of a bite, but not too much of a bite because I don't I don't like it if it's too spicy. You can't tell it's the meat, so you can still you can tell how good it is with the lamb.
0: We and we what, had some. What, what country is it usually is associated with? Uh,
2: uh Southern France
1: and Northern Africa, on both sides of the men. And uh, we had some people that were doing uh, photography for uh, for Ducasse's book uh, on uh, on farmers in America. I forget what it's called. But anyway, um, uh, they said that the merguez in Algeria is hotter because it's hotter down there. And so they want it to, so they sweat more. Keeps them cooler which I thought was interesting. But but yes, it's and it's used in a lot of recipes with uh, couscous.
2: Right, Middle Eastern.
1: Middle Eastern stuff. It's great. My favorite way of having it is I have it here on the grill, and I'll, I'll cook it uh, uh, black on the outside. And then but very rare in the middle. Totally. And the, so what happens is the spices come out and, and they're hot. And it's great. And so I mix that in the summer with it's my summer comfort food. I have it with uh, uh, hummus and yogurt uh, and, and cold, cold uh, lawnmower beer. Meaning Coors, rolling rock. We don't have rolling White rock. Light beer, White beer okay. Yeah, it's wonderful. So that's how we made
2: that. And then we came up with other recipes for because we had a lot of lamb that was left over back then. Um, restaurants weren't buying the shanks and the shoulders and the necks the way they, so they are now. Them they wouldn't buy It's very now they're you couldn't keep a stock on them if you had them. But uh, back then nobody wanted them so we came up with all kinds of recipes for products and so we created a lamb barley soup and they're all home these are like uh, recipes I would make at home and then I expanded them to be a commercial recipe. And we made a uh, two lamb stews as well as a lamb pie and a lamb pot pie won a prize at the fancy food show in 1994. We 97. 97. So that was before um, it seems like we were ahead of the curve on everything because that was before frozen food had really taken off prepared frozen food, which is now so commonplace was before it had taken off. But it it was a big winner.
1: Yeah, it was. But it kept uh, it kept us moving the product along and gave us uh, notoriety, which all of which was good. So, uh, cause we were just doing this. I mean, we did this business out of, <laughs> we we're English majors, I mean, come on. And so we just started this and and we found that people liked our lamb and the right people liked our lamb. Julia loved our lamb uh, and, uh, she would uh, uh, she couldn't find good lamb and talk to me about it. so I would send it to her. Then she would be happy. <laughs> and so we had her and then we started. The, the, a lot of chefs stayed with us um, for many, many years because they knew it was going to be consistent. And it was consistent because in 1994, we took the plunge, as it were, and bought our own processing plant so we could control everything Uh, the raising of the land and the slaughtering and everything we did ourselves. And uh, there's a picture of me in the book on the kill floor. So if you don't believe me, trust me, it's there. (laughs) That's what we did because we could only trust ourselves to do it the way we want Plus, it was just a lot of fun. We Dealing with the chefs was...
2: The people we met and the places we went were really...
1: Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Fun. Yeah, it was fun.
2: So we had to write it down because we figured it, stories would be lost if we didn't write them up. So there they are in the book.
1: Yeah. It was fun. It was fun to write, too. But I would I would write little notes, and uh, but uh, and, and and I write a lot about Charlie louis because he was just so funny, and he I mean he wasn't real I don't know if he really was trying to be or what, but he was just such a character that uh, it was great, and he was so I've never seen a chef. And people that talk about Jean-Louis uh, uh, never seen a chef so uh, driven. Uh, his daughter, Beren told me, forget the term that she used, that it was just, that's all he wanted to do was to cook. That was it, period. And uh, uh, it was uh, it was an amazing time to do this because uh you had people like shalawi who was so passionate and then everyone else who kind of followed him and worked with him Uh, uh uh eric repairs started working for him when he was 22 and uh you know it was just a bunch of great we were all about the same age Alice Waters, John Louie, Suki and I and we were just all trying to talk to to, so Norman Van Aken from Florida. uh, He's a good friend. And um, he said, Oh, you're writing a book. And I said, Yes, he said, I'm writing one too. And he wrote a great book. And I said, so Norman, why did you write your book? And he said, because we were changing the world. And he was right, truly. He and Charlie Trotter were very close. And uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, he was one of the, he is one of the big guys.
2: It was the beginning of the farm to table, what they call farm to table re- revolution that's really started back in the, in the 80s. And it's been moving along, and so now everybody's into everything local, which is great.
1: Yeah. So then, where do you have more notes? Yes, you do. I could talk all day.
2: Yeah, I don't know. So where point me
1: in the right direction.
2: We can go. Well, what we're doing today, we could talk about what we're doing today. Yeah.
1: Well, there. Is, so we have a lot of people interested in what we're what we're doing. I, 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 I don't know if uh, the same passion, there, there is passion. I, I say this and I, I think people take it the, the wrong way. Um, it, when we started, it was so much fun because this was all new to everyone. So with our lamb, for instance, we didn't know what to do with the lamb we knew it was different and we tried selling to um, uh, fancy food stores expensive food stores but uh, we found that they weren't really they were happy to buy it if it wasn't too expensive they wanted to make their markup So it was never a relationship that worked very well for us. Uh, We found that if we dealt directly with the chefs, with the best chefs we could find, or they would find us in many cases. At first we were hunting them, then they started hunting us at risk of being immodest. And it was, uh, it was wonderful. And so uh, uh, they would put the name of our restaurant on the menu and uh, and, and name, what do I say? Restaurant. The name of the, you know what, they put the farm on the restaurant menu. And uh, so it was a big deal for us and we were very serious about it. And, uh, And you, so we weren't, uh, I don't know if we weren't, I don't wanna say we weren't nice, but we were driven to uh, produce it a certain way and do things a certain way. And people would say, well, the lamb's too small. I said, well, that's too bad. This is what we do. And now we can get so big but if you get it too big, it's, you aren't going to have lamb that tastes like it should. And so we run into some issues that way. But um, most everyone, what what we found is that um, we just dealt with different chefs that had different tastes, and we were pretty well able to match the sizing for the different uh, chefs. Uh, Shoho wanted really small. Ones. And then give and he gave me Terry said, you sent me a grandpa, which meant it was too big. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> He's Alsatian. So what is that? I don't know. But anyway, it was the um, way it was just so much fun and i don't i don't know if it's as much fun now as it was then which is really the reason we're kind of on the way out because it's uh not as fun well plus it's a lot of work for us we're mid 70s we were we were we were never rich and famous but we were famous and we accomplished something and so therefore it's uh, uh was worthwhile and that, so, in the, in the, the, so the point of the title is, coyotes in the pasture and wolves at the door is that uh, we started this business with no, no grants, no help, no this, no that. Well, you know, family, we would bug they would bug us to get paid back. Everybody get paid back, but it was. Uh, it was uh, tough. And uh, but there were wolves at the door. And the wolves at the door were the banks. And uh, um, that part was tough. And so that's why it's people that who asked me, why do you call it that? said, "Well, you, you've never had a small business, have you? <laughs> no, that's they don't know about the wolves at the door. But uh, we were, uh, my wife was taking our kids to school and I got a call, she's in New Hampshire or somewhere and said, or no, I was in New Hampshire, I said, how are you? And she's in tears and said, they're repossession, repossessing my car. <laughs> so we, we understand how this works.
2: But you fixed it.
1: But we fixed it. We fixed everything.
0: So, are we there anything? Keeping, yeah. Is, what do we? Do
2: you have any questions for us, or you have anything you want us to cover that we haven't covered?
0: I will. I'll, I'll talk to you about that now, and then we can take the chat questions. Um, you possibly uh, you have a question. Pardon me. You have a question. Oh yeah, I have. I have several. Uh, Good. And I'll I'll do this live, and then the rest will be the chat questions from. The audience, um, you folks. Um, I mean, w- at first the first part is, you, well, what what were you doing? You were, you were English majors, and could you tell how? It sounds like you I almost accidentally became farmers. About you found this beautiful house, and yep. and and you wanted to buy it, right? And but you couldn't buy it from the the guy who owned it because he he wanted you to buy all the land with it, right? How That's many correct. acres? Uh, so can you can you talk about that? I mean, because it's not like you wanted to be farmers your whole life. You yeah. just fell in love with this beautiful, beautiful Pennsylvania acreage in, uh, this in this gorgeous countryside. Uh, so could you tell how you stumbled onto this uh, onto well, this farm?
1: Yeah, I was so I was in the coal business, C O A L. Mm-hmm. My family had been in the coal business in Western Pennsylvania for years.
2: We and lived in the in Kansas City after college, and we lived in the city or in the, in a suburb, and so we were really city people at that point. <laughs> and then we moved back to Pennsylvania.
1: And and that's and there a, so there were these beautiful old houses. They're beautiful stone houses in Eastern Pennsylvania. But uh, between 1780 and 1820, uh, they a lot of the Germans moved from Eastern Pennsylvania to Western Pennsylvania and built the same houses. And we found a house near us that was like that. And we wanted to restore it. We had absolutely no interest in farming. And the guy would only sell it if we bought the acreage. So. He had a, <clears throat> a friend of his farm and then I got interested in farming. And at the same time, without going too far off, uh, because of the coal business, I was seeing the uh, increase in grain prices that had to do with petrochemicals, and price of coal, all these things are connected. And so it seemed to me that uh, grass production for livestock made more sense than anything else. So I got interested in it, got involved in in a program of the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture and the United States uh, Department of Agriculture called Progress Project Grass and we, we were working on developing grass production. And where we live is like, and I say this and people laugh, at me, but trust me, it's true. And uh, <clears throat> is that where we live is the Napa Valley for sheep. And it's because the grass here is so good. And we have 40 to 50 inches of rain a year all at the right time. I mean, it's just like magic, and <clears throat> so you can raise these animals on grass. The meat is cleaner. The animal is healthier. Uh, you have muscling because of the meat, because the animals are running up and down the hill, and uh, it's just it's, it's it's just great. So I got fascinated with that. That was really what started me into kind of doing it. and then Suki it is weird. So so Suki raised the first sheep for uh for a project for the kids, uh 4-H project. But is she is one to say, are gonna say it or I'm gonna say, we approach farming through food. So Shala we would say later on, I mean we had no idea when we started. If somebody would have told me I was selling to some crazy French chef, the guy was nuts. But he was so passionate, he'd say, "Oh, try this, try that. Raise him on this, raise him on that." And we did that, and he was right because it was his concept was, uh, which nobody thought about. Trust me, in Western Pennsylvania in 1985, no one knew what terroir was. But we have it here, and and he and I, his favorite lamb in France is from Sisteron in the Lower Alps, and the elevation at Sisteron is very similar to our elevation, and he and I always talked about the fact that that had to be why it was, he liked it so much, and the the uh, it was similar the taste was similar and it changes with the season so early on we have so there's a lot of garlics first thing and then we'll have anise uh wild anise and then right now we have you can't see it earlier maybe you could have but anyway uh, uh queen anne's lace which is wild carrot and that sweetens it like carrot sweetens anything. So it was fascinating. Did I answer anything or did I ramble? I don't even know.
2: That's how we got, well, that's how you got started in the grass. I started the forage projects for the kids, and I did uh I did cooking and catering, and we would use use our lamb, have it butchered and use our lamb, and people really liked it. And that was really the basis for us getting started. So it, it was yeah. just like one one thing happened and the next thing happened and I was just like building blocks and it just happened. and we followed we just followed along the path that was amazing.
0: And let us and, the work. And uh, for for everyone who's listening, we did include two of your recipes with the link of uh, their links to your recipes in our program notice. So if anybody wants to try the recipes, by all means, click on the links that came with that are on your notice. And also um, by the book, if you want to the book, I I told John that uh, when I was reading through the book, I said, I asked him, did you write this? Or did you hire somebody? It's so well written. And he said he wrote it. I was I was Surprised. and then then I wasn't so surprised when he said he was an English major major it's so beautifully written and thank you the description about Julia Child uh the the narration and, and the description and the scene I thought this is this guy's a writer and I just want to say something briefly about Julia Child I was exposed to her over a number of years at these conferences and at different meetings And I couldn't get over like what you described. She was this way with just about everybody. She would see a bright light in people and she would think, what can I learn from them? Yes. She would pick your brain. She would. She could learn from you. And uh, how how do you think people feel like when, like, oh, I met Julia Child. Well, what did you talk about? And this brilliant person is learning from you. So that's (laughs) why another reason we all couldn't help but love her
1: that's why um, people loved her you're right
0: yes and it was genuine she really loved learning from others and uh, uh also um I had a, a question and, well you did answer you know how you were accidental farmers you you see this lovely oh. place and you want to buy it and you're stuck with all the land and how do we use it and uh, um um and Suki, uh, my gosh! But you—you you said you were a caterer too. So I mean, you're so—and you developed so many recipes to help popularize the lamb. So, um, but 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 thank you. I I enjoy it. Also, it's grass-fed. Now, a lot of grass-fed beef people complain about it because it's gamey tasting or something. But that doesn't really apply to the lamb, does it? Well. I depends
1: on the age. Yeah it it, there are a lot of factors but it's just it's it's harder to raise uh, beef on grass and finish it in my opinion because it takes um, uh, at least 24 months and then closer to 30 and the 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 USDA is very uh, uh, concerned about uh, BSE um, sponge porn encephalitis. What is oh, bovine sponge encephalitis? And if they get too old, the beef, then you can have a problem. That now that's kind of going off on a tangent. But at the same time, um, uh, it's it's just it's a bigger animal and even when they're fed uh grain it takes 18 months to finish them so if they're on grass it's gonna be closer to twenty four minimum to thirty and, and it's just I don't know to me the the reason one of the reason lambs so good and and goat uh as ruminants is that they 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 finish quickly. So in other words, our, our lamb is six or eight months old when we slaughter.
2: Versus lamb from a feedlot, which is up to a year old usually. So they run them through a course of grains and everything else in the feedlot. And it's an older animal in it's butcher.
1: Yeah,
2: and that makes a difference. So we always say it's the age and the, and what they're what they're fed that makes it so good and
1: how they're slaughtered yeah everything all of the above
0: and and my final question uh yes before we turn it over to the chat questions is uh is there any truth to the expression gentle as a lamb what what do you have to say about that i don't i don't know lambs except when, when i eat them but uh, <laughs> what, what, why why is that expression, gentle as a lamb come in? And does that even make it? Well, you, i will explained you don't mind killing them, slaughtering them, but I was just thinking these sweet lambs, how, gentle lambs, how do you slaughter them? But you, you explain that because they're happy and then they're-
1: They're happy, they're happy. They're so cute when they're little. They're so yeah. cute, but then they grow up
2: and they- but they have amazing flocking instinct. I I just think that's fascinating. I uh, think
1: that's the gentle part the, the, that you don't think about that. They're very easy as if, if you understand them. They have a behavior that's very easy to, it's easy to move them. It's easy to gather them.
2: Tell them the joke, about it, Because
1: they all flock together. Oh, yes. When I'm talking <laughs> with people at one of our dinners, we're doing dinner Saturday night. You should come. How much is it?
2: A um, dinner, $110. Yeah,
1: for it, with you bring, you bring your own wine and eat our lamb and we have a great time and I tell stories. But anyway, so people come in and I'm telling them about the rams and the ewes. And I said, you know, here's how you tell the difference between a ram and a ewe. Ram is a male, ewe is female. And he said, how is that, John? And I said, well, did you ever hear about the ram that fell off a cliff trying to make a u-turn? <laughs> huh? <laughs> you laughed. I got you to laugh.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, And again, we'll we'll turn this over to questions now. And and as the shepherd said, let's get the flock out of here.
1: There you go. (laughs) Yes, I like that. (laughs) A good follow-up.
0: Yeah, and it's. I guess it's acceptable to say not too many people canceled their their viewing right now because of what I just said. But uh, anyway, so Kathy, do you want to? uh, do your your chat? Uh, well, MC. I'll
3: I'll I'll help that. So uh, one thing that didn't get discussed was the the wool. So somebody said, "Did you make
2: use of the wool by shearing the sheep?" The wool, well, we do. We shear we shear the sheep. the use the mothers. We shear the mothers once a year because it's healthy for them. The wool itself, we don't do anything with it because it's not worth it.
1: Uh, it's, Mar- there's, no market. there's no
2: market for the wool because they're outside lambs with very short wool that's full of burrs and all kinds of things from being out in the grass. They're because the lambs, the sheep are a wool type, not a wool type sheep. They're a meat breed, not a wool breed, and that's a difference between two different kinds of breeds of sheep. If you have a a wool breed, they have long flowing wool and you wouldn't run them out in pastures where you're going to get burrs and all kinds of bad things in them because you have to save that wool and that wool is is luscious valuable. and precious and valuable but our wool is not
0: oh so so, to add to that that so you don't want to pull your wool over anybody's eyes then
2: that's exactly hey, right this is good he <laughs> and i we should we can start
1: it show
2: yeah really okay <laughs> lamb chop <laughs> yes
3: dear. you know what that's that's actually something i had never knew i didn't realize there's the meat lamb breeds and then there's the wool breeds yeah. yes
1: there are and and you know when you brought that up about the about uh, um uh grass-fed beef there are uh, uh certain uh, spe- not Species breeds. Uh-huh. breeds. There are breeds of uh, uh, beef that work better for grass production um, than others. Angus, the short, chunky beef that people know of, uh, and Devon—they're English breeds like that that do very well on grass, but the but the tall ones no.
3: Are there other byproducts from sheep other than meat or
2: the wool? wool no, milk. No, they're dairy dairy sheep and sheep cheese. Sheep's oh, cheese. Sheep cheese. Rogue is, fruit, Rogue
1: is sheep's cheese.
2: Oh, and that's another another factor we we didn't talk about is how in other countries lamb is a is their first choice in other countries a lot of places, but not in America. So. It like in France, all the lamb is younger because they
1: Yeah, they because they're the, pulling the, the so the they same use the ewes for milk. They they use the ewes for milk. So they pull the lambs off to melt the ewes. And so this would be, as I said, Roquefort, pecorino romano. Um different fetas or sheep's cheese.
2: Interesting. So yes, sheep have uh, lots of products available.
3: Now, do you raise any of your sheep for halal?
2: That's a method of. Uh,
3: that's that's the uh, that's for the yeah uh, right the Muslim version of kosher
2: right right. You have to have upset
3: a, with that statement. You have to have a certain well, procedure yeah. of slaughter. That's, that's true. true.
1: Yeah, at our at our plant, we uh, we had some somebody who was interested in uh doing it at our plant so i got it i got us approved to do the law but uh, it's no big deal you go through the same uh uh practices except then somebody has to come in and bless it and that's that and then it's slaughtered and, and uh, yeah
3: because i once talked to this was a, a- goat farmer. Um, but he was, t- he, he preferred like the halal market over the kosher market, because with the kosher, he said, all you have to do is make a small mistake and it's no longer kosher. Whereas with halal, it could still probably get processed. But he other made another comment that I thought was very amusing. Now, like I said, he's doing goats, you're doing sheep. He did do uh, cattle. And I said, so why did you stop doing cattle? he said, well, you know, when a sheep steps on your foot, you shove it over. But when a cow steps on your foot, you're going to the hospital.
1: That's right. That was Suki. That was why when we started, Suki said, uh, we aren't doing cattle. They break things. They're big and dumb and break things, including people.
0: Yeah, and and also also they leave cow pies all over the place.
1: (laughs) They do leave cow pies all over the place. Yes. Everything's
2: bigger about a cow. Sure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Everything's
3: bigger. Now I, 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 I'm going to bring it up anyway, but um, you know, back in the early '70s, I lived with my grandmother, and there was lamb in the spring, but for the rest of the year, whenever we had, let's say, a product from a sheep, it was mutton, which. As much as I loved her cooking, mutton wasn't up there. But it's very difficult now to find mutton.
1: Well, it is because Americans just uh, won't say there's, there's not no a big market, market for it. If it's good, if it's raised right, and you know what you're doing, raising it, it's it can be wonderful.
3: Do you think mutton tastes a lot like goat? I'm only asking because I I would like to find some mutton and cook it, but I'm not finding it. And I'm not, I'm not asking, but but I've had goat. I've had mature goat that was pretty strong flavored. Um, there's a Mexican restaurant here in Chicago that specializes in goat dishes, but from very young goats. They don't have that strong flavor. Right. But uh, but have you tried mutton and tried goat? Because you may have a
1: more recent depression.
3: Or maybe that's just outside outside of your I'm experience. I'm not laughing
1: at you. My cat's my cat's playing with my computer. <laughs> um, hold on. I know that story. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um I I haven't compared them side by side. Okay. But but young goat is wonderful.
3: Yes. And around,
1: around here, it's I mean the market is. Uh, We have a market in eastern Pennsylvania, the um, um, uh, New Holland market that brings the highest prices of goats and lamb of any auction in the country. And it's because they all go from there to New York in Washington, D.C. There's a huge market for that there.
3: Chicago has a pretty
1: strong market for uh, for goat as well. And
3: in fact, this one family that does this uh, process, you know, cooks goat in their restaurant that's very young, they have somebody in Indiana that does it to their specification.
1: Um, Greg, Greg Greg Gunthorpe.
3: I'm not sure that's who it is i don't know who the provider is it could well be but
1: i don't know he supply he supplies rick and uh a lot of those guys well rick bayless you no
3: know, i know i know exactly who you're speaking of i i don't know in this yeah. case uh because you know this is a mexican family and they probably found somebody that's doing it perhaps a little less expensive. yeah. Uh, But anyway, there was a compliment to you. Uh, This has been a wonderful decompression from Workday. It's refreshing to hear life experiences from genuine people. Oh,
1: well, thank you. You You didn't know you
3: were (laughs) genuine, didn't you? But now you're certified.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Could have fooled me.
0: Well,
3: Scott, I I think I'll turn it over to you to say adieu.
0: Well, I I, uh, do wanna say thank you so much and uh, I think you two are, in, and I mean this in a very positive way, just wonderfully sheepish. And thank you, thank you for, in a very good way, the best sheepish way possible. Thank you so much for sharing your lamb's tail with us. And- uh, <laughs> He, he does does keep me oh, coming. I'm, I'm on a roll. Yeah, you <laughs> are.
2: It never you ends. You had to be quiet for 45 minutes, you couldn't stand it. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, no. It, like I said, it just comes out. I never know what's going to come out. But uh, thank you so much. And our, our, do you know if you you plan to be at the next IACP, uh, International Association of Culinary Professionals Conference? I'm going to go, but do you folks? Where, are, where is it? That's what I was going to ask you if you knew. But no, no. we'll find out. If we'll
2: find out, yeah.
0: I'm always disappointed when it's held in Chicago because... Uh, Although my transportation to get to the conference is a bus fare and the <laughs> lodging is my own condo. But I love going to other places. Uh, and yeah, meeting it's people fun. Like, Yes, I love m- and meeting people like you. So I hope I see you the next time. And I'll tell Thank the you. audience here, I had you two confused with somebody I met a few months before at the previous IACP conference. That was held in Birmingham. And that was the gentleman who has Neiman Farms, and they raise pork in Iowa, like right. legendary. And Chuck Williams from Williams-Sonoma helped put them on the map, too. Yeah. So after I spoke to you two, in my mind, I flipped you over to being pork pork farmers. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you're, uh, uh, Neiman Farms and um, your uh, Jameson that you both end and end. But now I'll never, never confuse you two again. So, uh, And I, I hope I see both both you groups at, at the next conference. So have a great day. Oh,
3: well, well, one little shout out. Yes. Somebody here tonight is a Shetland sheep farmer. And they no really matter. enjoyed this talk. So well, there you go. You. Your, your tribe has
2: arrived.
1: Uh, look at me.
2: Very look good. at you. Very good. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoyed talking tonight. Thank this you. was great. Thank you,
1: thank you very
2: much.